Hi there, and welcome to another great podcast from the 2021 ANZICS Clinical Trials Group meeting in Noosa, Australia. This podcast is sponsored by Baxter Healthcare, and we greatly appreciate their support in bringing you this podcast series. Joining me today is Dr. Emily C. Emily is a consultant nephrologist and senior trainee in intensive care medicine at Melbourne's Austin Hospital. She presented her work at the recent conference on the issue of net ultrafiltration rate in renal replacement therapy. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. Emily, let's start with the basics. What actually is net ultrafiltration rate? So net ultrafiltration rate is a marker of the intensity of fluid removal on continuous renal replacement therapy. It's calculated by um, dividing the patient fluid removal in mils per hour as prescribed by the CRT machine by the patient's body weight in kilograms. Generally, the weight that's used is their actual body weight, but there is quite a lot of discussion at the moment uh, about whether it should actually be their ideal body weight, especially with increasing um, obesity in units. Um, But for the meantime, we're calculating it according to actual body weight. Now, there's been some discussion recently about whether net ultrafiltration rate, or NUF, as it's sometimes called, um, actually has an impact on mortality. What can you tell us about that? So a lot of the early work about the association between the intensity of fluid removal and outcome has come from the conventional hemodialysis literature, um, where there's quite a large body of work um, led by Jennifer Flight about the association between high ultrafiltration rate or NUF and patient mortality. Um, And a number of mechanistic studies uh, have flown on from that, um, and that's included things like intradialytic echoes, intradialytic um, cerebral perfusion scanning, um, and also um, studies about renal residual reserve um, that have demonstrated that rapid fluid removal um, results in organ hypoperfusion, which manifests as things like myocardial stunning, um, uh, cognitive decline um, and accelerated dementia, um, also also circulating in increased circulating endotoxin levels as well as loss of renal functional reserve. And so um, a lot of that um, literature appears to also apply in the CRRT setting where we've got um, a number of studies. We've got four cohorts thus far, three of which are from single centres and one of which is a secondary analysis of the renal study um, that have suggested that, again, very intense fluid removal is associated with adverse outcomes with hazard ratios for mortality between 28 and 90 days of about, um, I think it's about 1.9 to up to 4.2 with confidence intervals that don't cross one. Um, And Two of the cohorts have actually suggested also that very low rates of fluid removal, which is generally sort of less than 0.8 and less than one mils per kilo per hour, is also associated with risk. And that risk, we believe, is mediated by um, things like hypervolemia, which we know to be a strong and independent um, association with mortality. Now, presumably all of these things must take into account the uh, underlying um, issues and, and obviously is, is complicated by the fact that it's not a randomised control trial. It's It's got the inherent issues with observational trials. How do you tease those things out? I would imagine the patients who become fluid overloaded and need a lot of ultrafiltrate are a different type of patient to those who don't. Is that right? 
Yes. So that's the big problem we're dealing with at the moment that um, we cannot account for residual confounding even through the use of adjusted models. There's generally a reason why patients either don't have any fluid removed and that may be because they're hemodynamically unstable and it's thought that that would be um, dangerous from a hemodynamic standpoint or conversely, that they have very aggressive ultrafiltration, um, which may be explained by, you know, by earlier severe hemodynamic instability with mounting hypervolemia, um, or um, the fact that um, that they have had a significant amount of fluid removed and now it's trying to be accounted for. Um, whereas patients who sit in the middle uh, with quite moderate NUF rates, they may be the population that are non-oliguric um, or also ones that haven't required as much volume resuscitation. Um, and that's why we really need prospective studies uh, to see whether this is a true effect. How do you reconcile these types of findings with the findings of intermittent or studies that have compared intermittent hemodialysis with continuous renal replacement therapy in ICU patients, which haven't really been clearly shown to make a difference in terms of their outcomes, yet smaller fluid uh, balance changes in this context seem to make a difference? How does that uh, come together? So I think that's a really interesting point. So as you correctly state, um, when we compare intermittent and um, continuous renal replacement therapy, there's no mortality difference, but there does appear to be a difference in cardiovascular stability. Um, and I think that may be the mediator um, in terms of looking at the adverse outcomes in these in the two patient groups. Um, Cardiovascular stability is obviously a really um, important part of the management of patients on renal replacement therapy because it can result in extra interventions like fluid administration um, and commencement or increase in uh, the use of vasoactive medications. Um, and so um, for us, we're trying to achieve the um, safest fluid removal while maintaining cardiovascular stability. Um, and that's what we think we can achieve with CRRT um, compared to intermittent. Um, it's not clear. So I think one of the issues with a lot of the studies comparing intermittent and continuous is that, again, most of them are observational and there's usually a reason why patients are prescribed one modality over the other. Um, if you've got someone who's critically ill and multi-organ failure on a lot of support, you're never going to um, or you're rarely going to prescribe them intermittent dialysis. So I think that comparison also has a lot of residual confounding when we look at the patient subtypes. Um, and so we're, um, even though, um, so a lot of those studies also haven't looked necessarily at the amount of fluid removal and what we see when we have patients who are transitioning at least from continuous to intermittent renal replacement therapy, their, their prescribed ultrafiltration on intermittent on intermittent is often very small, sort of 0.5 to 1 litre, um, whereas we'd usually be um, aiming for a larger ultrafiltration uh, if we were prescribing CRRT over the course of the day. Um, and that can lead to things like um, progressive hypervolemia, which we may not necessarily see because the patient's been discharged to the ward. Um, the sort of interplay between the two modalities, you know, we believe to be a significant high-risk period. 
And we hope that understanding more about whether enough prescription on CRRT is important for outcome will help us understand how we can safely transition patients between continuous and intermittent, and also to guide the nephrologists on what safe ultrafiltration prescription may be in critically ill patients who are receiving intermittent therapies. And joining me today on the podcast is Emily C. And we're talking about the impact of net ultrafiltration rate in CRRT. A reminder that you can find all our podcasts at the oslacommunity.com website or you can download the My Osla app from your app store. Emily, what do we know about current practice as it stands in, and does it vary across uh, jurisdictions? Yeah, so at the moment, uh, the main sort of um, evidence we've got for what occurs currently comes from, at least in Australia, from we've got a single centre cohort from Austin Health in Melbourne and also the um, results of the multi-centre renal study. Um, so if we look at, um, at what happens uh, in our single centre cohort, so um, about 46% of patients have enough rate that's less than 0.01. Um, while 25% of patients have enough rate that's greater than 1.75. And those are sort of the goalposts that have been set um, for dangerous um, ultrafiltration rate or dangerous enough rate. So there's actually only about 30% of patients that are currently receiving um, therapy within um, the range that we think to be the ideal range. Looking at the renal study, and we have to remember that this was now done a long time ago, um, there were 33% of patients who had enough rate below 1.01 um, and 33% of patients who had enough rate greater than 1.75. So, again, about two-thirds. Now, it would be interesting to know what the, the different types of patients who this applies to. Is there, is there particular patient groups who are... Uh, more at risk of injury related to NUF uh, than other groups? So I think, yeah, it, it depends. So the main sort of mediator is um, volume status. Um, and certainly if you've got a patient who's profoundly hypervolemic, um, the hypervolemia is going to cause a lot of problems. We know it's strongly associated with mortality. It's also associated with organ edema and dysfunction, including renal dysfunction. Um, and so for those patients, we think that achieving some fluid removal is really critical. Um, and it may be that they're a patient population that you want to um, achieve fluid removal that's at the higher end of the recommended range. Um, the other population that I think is unique are the patients who have non-oliguric acute kidney injury but are still receiving CRRT. So these are usually patients who have recovering ATN uh, and they, um, they make urine in terms of volume but they don't have a good concentrating capacity um, and they are not able to adequately excrete the required toxins so they have to continue some form of extracorporeal support. Um, and in those patients, um, trying to minimise the amount of fluid that's removed from the filter um, to sort of encourage or drive um, uh, endogenous urine production may be beneficial in terms of AKI recovery. So sort of where you want to prescribe within that range will really depend on individual patient circumstances um, and that's something that's another area that I think needs exploration in terms of individualising care. One thing that we found a lot is that 
um, units tend to prescribe um, this sort of a range that they often operate within. So at Austin, we often prescribe um, in 50 mil per hour increments between 100 and 200 mils an hour without much consideration to um, the patient in front of us, apart from whether, you know, the doctors have asked for a significant um negative fluid balance or a minimal negative fluid balance. So having having targets that are individualised to the patient in front of you, I think it's really important. Um, and that's something that we're trying to create more evidence around. Now, limiting the NUF rate or targeting a specific range is one approach to this problem. Are there other potential therapies that may uh, be implemented? Yeah, so I think the key um, therapy is preventing treatment interruptions. So, and that's obviously very strongly linked to the NUF rate. So when you've got um, a patient who has very poor circuit life, um, who's having frequent treatment interruptions, you know, there's then down a lot of treatment downtime, um, that's when you can get into a lot of difficulty and the nurses, you know, they've been given a fluid target for the day and they have difficulty achieving that without um, performing very aggressive ultrafiltration. Um, so ensuring that you've got a circuit that is functional, that's adequately anticoagulated um, and that's performing as it should is really important. Um, the other side of things is avoiding excessive fluid administration um, and, you um, sort of carefully um, determining when when to stop um, providing fluid resuscitation and change to um, administration of vasoactive medications so that you're not then in the position where you've got 10 or 15 litres to remove down the track. Um, those are going to be key to this intervention as well. Um, and the intervention, I mean, the sort of general intervention that we're talking about is trying to prescribe sort of a targeted and optimal um, fluid removal strategy in the same way that we've previously investigated um, whether intensity of solute removal affects outcome. Emily, at the recent conference you presented um, your outline for a research program that's going to look at this, uh, this problem. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, the name of our trial is the Neptune trial, um, and the Neptune trial is a cluster crossover study, which is comparing two different fluid management strategies. The intervention arm involves uh, prescription and targeting of an ultrafiltration rate or a NUF rate of between um, 1.01 and 1.75 mils per kilo per hour, um, while the second arm is a usual care arm where clinicians are free to prescribe um, whatever volume management um, strategy they think is appropriate for the patient. Uh, and we're looking at um, that our primary outcome is the time to discontinuation of renal replacement therapy, accounting for the semi-competing risk of death. Um, and so in this model, death will be penalised both before or after discontinuation of continuous renal replacement therapy or intermittent renal replacement therapy. Um, and it's going to give us a better idea about whether a targeted volume strategy that's individualised to the patient's size can impact on um, clinically important outcomes um, like mortality and renal recovery. Um, the trial um, is currently in the planning phase, so we've got 12 centres who are um, going to be participating um, and we're in the process of involving um, our implementation scientist and consumer group um, in terms of um, further planning the study to make sure that the outcomes that we're examining are meaningful um, and that implementation of our findings would be feasible um, because, you know, I think we haven't previously um, 
well, the nursing staff are usually the ones who are in control of the prescription of fluid removal. So um, I think understanding the way that they prescribe um, fluid removal on the machine is going to be really important to making and sort of incorporating their viewpoint into the planning of the study is something that we think is greatly important um, and that we're hoping to incorporate from the beginning. Um, so the two intervention arms are six months each with a two-month washout period in between. Um, and the other unique aspect of this study is that it's going to purely involve data that are available through the electronic medical record. Um, and we're going to have linkage with several registries, including the National Death Index, the ANZICS APD and the ANZ Data Registry, which is our um, hemodialysis and transplant registry. Um, and we're essentially trying to set up a framework for future EMR-driven multicenter randomised control trials um, so that, um, you know, we can maximise impact um, while minimising unnecessary work and data collection. Emily, to conclude, what recommendations would you give around the prescription of fluid removal in a standard patient in the ICU who is requiring renal replacement therapy? So I think um, looking at the patient in front of you, um, looking at their body size, looking at their volume status are key points, looking at their serum albumin and estimating their plasma tonicity because that's what really drives the replacement of intravascular volume from the interstitial compartments, um, looking for signals that you may be um, that you may be prescribing volume inappropriately. So failure for edema to resolve, also um, conversely, uh, rising lactate, rising vasoactive support, hypotension, um, and constantly reassessing the impact of your prescribed um, fluid removal rate rather than taking a set and forget approach. Emily, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and shedding some light on a, an evolving topic. Thanks very much for having me. This podcast is sponsored by Baxter Healthcare and we greatly appreciate their support in bringing this podcast series to you. For more great interviews just like this, visit our website at oslacommunity.com or download our new app. Just search for My Osla in your app store.